It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest is Bill Doherty, CEO of Day & Ross, one of the largest transportation companies in Canada. Bill is a charismatic and innovative executive leader with 28 years experience in the industry, starting at FedEx where he worked for over 20 years. His last role there was managing daily operations for 10,000 employees with annual revenue north of a billion dollars. He has a proven track record of streamlining operations, improving bottom line performance with expertise in building strong teams managing executive performance, anticipating future industry changes, and executing clear strategic plans and driving revenue growth. Bill Doherty, welcome into the corner office. Brent, thank you. Uh, glad to have a chance to visit with you and look forward to our conversation today. Oh, it's great to have you back. We spoke a few weeks back and you got to know each other a little bit. And uh, I want to, you know, get a chance to really kind of track your career and all the wonderful things you've done. But let's kind of start in the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about your early family life and, you know, where you grew up and some of the things that went on during that point of time in your life. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from originally from the Boston area, specifically Cambridge and Watertown. I was born in Cambridge. I couldn't tell by the accent. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm working with a speech coach on that. Um, I love but it. The, uh, but, you know, big family, uh, you know, uh, total nine folks in the family. Um, you know, a lot of seven boys, one girl. And, wow, um, where were you in the lineup? I am, I am number five in the boy order. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, middle child, so I'm uh, very middle, adept. Yeah. yeah. Right, so, right. Uh, but I uh, went, you know, went to spend most of my formative time in, in Massachusetts and uh, re relative to my career, most of my early jobs were in, uh, in the Massachusetts area or New yeah. England. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, pr pretty, uh, pretty, uh, I guess, uh, whatever normal is, normal upbringing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, tell a, us about mom and dad. What, what yeah. kind of work did they do? Mom was mostly working in the home, I can imagine. With nine uh, she, uh, she was. My, my mother was uh, 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 the brains of the family. Um, she, <laughs> my dad uh, had an interesting career. He was in the Korean War and ended up yeah. as a magistrate in the court system. And in between that, he was in the state house in Massachusetts. Oh. Uh, and, and my mother, so she not what, was only that, Were those government positions, government? Uh, they were, yeah, they yeah. were. Mm -hmm. uh, so pretty much a civil servant his uh, his whole life. Right. Um, my mother, for the most part, uh, you know, she took care of things at home and all, but also did a lot of work for my 
uh, for my father relative to his political career, which lasted about eight to ten years, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and ultimately, and, and you know, very involved in the local communities that we lived in. Uh, sure. With, with all those children, uh, there was no way to not to be involved in sports and PTA and the sure. and the normal things that uh, sort of make the school systems and and the you know sports things run. May I make an assumption that you grew up in the Catholic Church? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I say that with pride. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, even uh, even in these times, you know, it's it's, it's great foundation, and I uh, absolutely I still draw on it uh, to help me uh, try to make the best decisions possible. Did you go through the parochial schools? Uh, uh, the, the uh, not not schools so much. My my children did. Not so much me. Yeah. Uh, we started yeah. there, and we were in and out. Um, uh, but no, uh, no uh, public schools uh, all the way up through uh, yeah. middle school to high school, and um, uh, you know, in uh, uh, plenty of catechism, though. To be quite right, frank. I so can imagine there right. wasn't plenty there of wasn't, mass. Yeah, plenty, of, <laughs> plenty. Of, yeah, so uh, I don't think it really mattered. I don't think it could have been much more immersion if you, if uh, than that. So, uh, but all good. Uh, but you know, listen for. For somebody of my vintage, so to speak, uh, that was you know pretty common. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a, a regular family, and we weren't even close to being the biggest family uh, in the neighborhood. So wow, uh, wow. pretty uh, cool. uh, you know again, I wouldn't call it traditional because I don't think traditional really means anything. I think traditional it's just what it was and sort of where we were from. So well, you said your mom had an influence on you. What were some of the things you remember in the early days that that mom uh, directed you towards or or away from, perhaps as the case may be. Oh, I would, you know, listen, my mother probably is the biggest part of uh, me and my brother's lives, especially, and my sister for that matter. Um, You know, listen, uh, uh, a a sense of commitment. She was, uh, Mm. in some ways, she could be very pious, but very modern. Um, So she, but she understood the, the, uh, the world and she, and she, and she wanted you to uh, to take th- to take things uh, as you'd like them to be, and try to change things, and try to help people, and uh, and put others first, and uh, with mm. a sense of humility, not looking for any mm. you know people to pat you on the back. Just uh, take care of others, and good things will happen to you. Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty common theme with a lot of yeah. a lot of folks, and uh, you know, I, a I woman of she, her generation. Huh? Yeah, and I think she did yeah. it quite well. So um, yeah. you know, we've got. Um, you know, again, it's it's good foundation. Uh, you, you still have to grow, but uh, those uh, those lessons uh, uh, will probably lead you to the right outcomes in in most cases. Yeah, awesome. What about other influencers? Were there people, you know, coaches you had or teachers that uh, had a significant influence on you, Bill? Yeah, yeah. You know, listen. I, I, other, than, you know, my father had great influence on us because um, of some of the things that he did, which was sort of put us out in the community a little bit. But I would say, you know, I was lucky enough to play sports, and I played sports in, in high school, and I and I and I made it into the uh, the college level. Um, I would say, you know, probably uh, when I think back, if, if there was a coach that I had in high school, his name was Leo Harrington, um, and I can recall his name so easy because he was a very impactful guy. He, uh, a guy of his generation, you know, served in the military, was in the Marine Corps, but yeah. uh, was a very strong, um, strong personality, uh, disciplined, you know, sort of, a, sort of, a, you know, a tough but fair person, right. uh, but with a great sense of humor. And uh, mm. the one thing he taught you is always believe in yourself. So, and, right. and, you know, and when you get knocked down, you know, learn to dust yourself off and, and, and get up again because uh, something good is always coming around the corner. Awesome. Love it. At, were you a good student in school, Bill? I would say I was uh, at best an average student, but I was right. one of those kids that I think uh, I had a pretty active imagination, and, and I was always <laughs> thinking about things that 
maybe uh, we're a little bit too lofty at the moment, and I maybe should have right. spent a little bit more time uh, in the textbooks. But for the most part, uh, you know, I, I had a great education. Of, uh, the teachers I had uh, took a genuine interest in me, and uh, at the end of the day, I think it serves me well. And, uh, you know, um, and the few things that I didn't learn then, I've probably read up on them more now than, than, than I should have anyway, so... You mentioned sports. Did you play multiple sports, or what was your favorite growing up? Uh, well, my favorite sport would have been hockey, but I played uh, yeah. football in high school and in college. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but my favorite sport to this day is, is hockey. I'm, uh, you know, Growing up in the Boston area, you could not yeah. be a, a big hockey fan because of the influence of people like Bobby Orr and the, the big course. bad Bruins. Yeah. And uh, yeah. now you're losing about half your podcast because I'm talking about the Bruins. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, right. but, but, you know, That's but right. I loved every sport. I mean, I, I, I love baseball, the Red Sox, but I, I would say I'm a, I'm a Boston sports fan, true and true. Yeah. What about entrepreneurial things? Did you, were there, were there's things that you did growing up in the Cambridge area, you know, the, maybe the ubiquitous paper route or, uh, you know, selling Christmas cards at Christmas time or other types of things that you did for spending money? Uh, all of the above. Uh, you know, we, yeah, ha- yeah. we had, we had a paper route. I shared it with a good friend of mine, Jerry McCarthy. And, uh, okay. based on the sports schedules, he would do it some days. I would do it other days. And, uh, uh, you know, right, we right. do, and then we'd, we'd go off, you know, that was back when you actually collected money from uh, oh, an yeah. envelope from everybody. I'm sure you can remember that. And that's right. Go uh, knock and, on the door, go and, knock on the door and, you know, yeah. whether it was a buck 25 for a weekly delivery, including yep, Sunday yep. or 75 for the weekly only. So I do, I, you know, we, we shared a route because we both played sports and that way we could always figure out a way to arrange it. I worked some interesting jobs. I, you know, I worked. Uh, I worked at, at, in high school. I had the opportunity to work uh, at the Army Material Research Center in Watertown, Mass. Um, right, right. The place, you know, was basically a, a, a military armory that actually had a very large science component to it. And I did, you know, handyman janitorial work. Uh, right. But it was a great way to see, you know, uh, a cross section of a multitude of industries under one, you know, very large facility. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, and I, you know, I did some typical manual labor stuff i loaded trucks and unloaded trucks at a retail store or actually a garden store i should say so just uh normal things to give keep yourself and you know gas money and enough spending money to go enjoy yourself a little bit <laughs> now you went to becker college and you said you played football did you go there on a scholarship i i did, that- well i actually I, I it's funny uh brent i actually i had sort of a, a bridged kind of uh college career i ended up Originally starting in a college up in Vermont called Norwich University. Okay, yeah. Which was one of the um, original DOD schools, uh, or the ROTC schools. for oh, right. um, of course, yeah. Uh, like Texas A&M and those schools. Not, on right, the, right, not right. nearly the level of Texas A&M for athletics, to be clear. Yeah. Um, but because I was working part-time at FedEx, I actually stopped going to school full-time. Okay. Started my career at FedEx and then ultimately finished at Becker. Years later, uh, where FedEx helped me through tuition reimbursement and things like that to get my Oh, got it. So it was at Norwich that you played football then? Yes, for, no, two yeah. years at Norwich, yes. Yeah, two years at Norwich. Awesome, awesome. And, and so FedEx became a part of your life even during college years. Now, was that just part-time work that you took on when you first started there? Or how did you, uh, you know, began your career with them? Um, actually, I was working. Uh, I was very lucky. I had received an opportunity to work at United Parcel Service. Okay. While I was in high school, as a seasonal worker, um, carrying a card, right. meaning I mean I was in the union, but union, the, what yeah. they would do is they would let you work twenty-eight days, and then you would they would put you down for a few a uh, few months, and then you'd come back in the summer when they were having their vacation schedule. Yeah. I did that uh, for a couple of seasons, um, and then ultimately I was working um, part time, and my brother was 
in the Navy and was recruited to go work at FedEx. And ultimately, I ended up getting to FedEx uh, through my brother because they were growing so fast. Uh, So my first job at FedEx was washing the trucks and loading the trucks and ultimately (laughs) working at the airport at night, loading the planes. Uh, Back then, you had, you know, one or two planes leaving Boston to go to Memphis, Tennessee. And so it was, you know, it was an interesting way to start the business. It gave you a great view of sort of what transportation could be. Uh, and yeah, was yeah. and was evolving too. So I was very lucky right. to be there in, you know, in the 1984 window, and uh, was it was a good time. And you were there over 20 years. Great career, yeah. and I want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, uh, did you join them full time then um, at that point, or when, when did that kind of become a, a reality for you? I got an opportunity in '85, 85, uh, which would have been my like senior year in college. Right, uh, right. They, they were they, again. The growth was pretty ridiculous there. You know, we see, you know, yeah. and um, they were looking for people to come on as full-time drivers, and at the same time, they gave me an opportunity to go learn to drive a tractor-trailer. No. Oh. Huh. Um, so I basically stopped going to school full-time, and converted to them full-time, and that's really how my career built started yeah. with them. I, I became yeah. a full-time driver, and one of the ancil- ancillary things that I did for them was also drive a tractor-trailer because that's how you fed the buildings around New England, so to speak, for all sure. the freight and sure. all the uh, product. And uh, that's how I you know, really got, I would say, my, my career started there. And then I was lucky enough to have a incremental assignments, you know, working with dangerous goods and things like that. Very mm. you know, important traditional things for transportation companies. And I was, al- I was allowed to get into a management program. And Ultimately, they placed me in a, a, a facility in Wilmington, Massachusetts, working for a great guy named Tom O'Hearn. And that's really the first time I, I would say I, I had, outside of my family in a business environment, I had a, a, somebody that sort of mentored me and sort of yeah. began to show me how to, how to you know, handle myself in a business environment in a, and, in a, more importantly, in a customer environment. When was the first time you started managing people, Bill? Uh, 1986, 87. Yeah, yeah. I was I was what they called an operations manager, right? Uh, right. And, and I was on the I worked the night shift because that was the most important shift at FedEx at that time sure. because you're trying to make an air, air, aircraft departure to move the product around the country and that back right. then around the world. Right. Um, it, it, so it was a great learning environment. Um, I tell people that you know it was a place because of the time constraints. You didn't. There was no way to have decision by committee. You had to right. really understand what the what the core responsibilities were and what you what you what you had to meet from um, you know expectations and you and you you, you learned very quickly to make decisions that yeah. uh, would help the business because you didn't have time to call someone and ask for a lot of mm-hmm. advice because you were literally dealing with minutes not hours. Were you managing folks that you know had more senior than you or had been there longer or older? so to speak, or, or is it kind of managing peer levels at that time? Uh, I would say mostly older. I was yeah. probably at that time one of the younger frontline managers in the company. Did that present uh, some challenges for you? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you, listen, we, FedEx was built, uh, you know, by a lot of folks that came there as, as a second career but had, you know, very strong transportation backgrounds. Right. We had a lot of folks that came over from United Parcel Service. We had a lot of folks that came over from traditional trucking companies. Um, and, I, you know, and, and even the drivers that you would talk to, a lot of them were very seasoned transportation professionals. And they understood uh, 
they understood the business at a very granular level and right. uh, they understood what good looked like and what uh, silly, maybe stupid looked like as well. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't and they weren't at all shy to tell you that <laughs> you got some correctional yeah. uh, instructions and, at those times i think but i was glad to take it brent i was glad <laughs> to take it because because most of them were, were good family people and they were trying yeah. to help you yeah. out and and most yeah. of that when i reflect upon it you know you know sometimes you can get a little a little your energy can get the best of you and uh sure. sometimes somebody like that sort of helping you reset a little bit can be very impactful and helpful so thinking back to that period, what were some of those earliest leadership lessons you, you took away from those early jobs? Uh, I think to uh, always put the person who's actually doing the work sort of in the forefront of the problem. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think you, yeah. know, you learn very, again, not having time to go out and have quality action teams all the time in the moment because FedEx was a very in-the-moment business because of the, of of the, stress, the stresses on the operations. Um, right, right. You learn to put the person who is actually dealing with the customer, dealing with the challenge at a large customer, small customer, or a, you know, a customer that maybe they, they were in a very distant geography. You had to understand the complexity of that. So you, you relied a lot on the, on, on the good input of, of the frontline folks, and it allowed you to sort of, okay, this, is the, this problem is bigger than the obvious things, and we need to, if we're going to make a, a, a course correction here, we're going to need to do more than just tell them to work faster or work harder. Right. So right. you learn you learn very early on that the the you know the answer was probably somewhere where the job was being done. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had a wonderful career there, as I said, over twenty years. You ended up as VP of Global Operations, right? You were yep. based in Dallas. Was that your last location with them? It was. It was part of an acquisition when we when we brought a retail network to life for FedEx, right. um, which has turned out to be a, a great uh, a great accomplishment for them, and it's. Uh, help and it's been transformational for their business uh sure. i'm very proud of that um, you know the ceo down there brian phillips does a great job leading the what's now today known as the fedex office group and of course it's a yeah. big part of their e-commerce and their overall so they bought they bought uh, um Kinkos, Kinkos. right was yep. that, yeah uh, right, and right. i was involved in that very early on even pre the yeah. announcement days as right. sort of the well, team i lived that in was, santa barbara for many years bill so oh then you know mr paul awful mr awful yeah yeah his kids uh went with my kids to school and we were involved in a couple of boards together. Very yeah. interesting guy. <laughs> very interesting guy and a, and a very, uh, very entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial guy, but a yeah. very people-centrist yeah. individual. I met him yes. twice during, this, during the process. Right. Awesome. Well, so, gosh, you know, I'm sure there was many points in time during those 20 years that you thought, this is a great company. They gave you plenty of opportunities. They moved you around a lot. Tell us a little bit of kind of your decision to leave because, you know, I know you had a couple of different things you did before you, you know, came to Dan Ross. And um, just tell us a little bit about kind of the thinking process as to why you, know, you decided to move on and, and pursue other um, companies in the industry. Well, you know, listen, I, I, I can tell you that, you know, it was, it was never, those decisions are never easy for anyone. But, yeah, you know, after yeah. being there close to 25 years, I actually wow. have 25 years of service with them based on their the retirement calculator. Because sure. I started so young as a part-timer. Um, I was going to say, did they, I hope they counted those years you were washing the trucks. They did. No, listen, I, well, they, they, they did, and I'm very grateful to, for that, actually. That's and, great. Uh, and it speaks, great. To the, it speaks to the organization's yeah, uh, their culture, their yeah. placement in their culture correctly. At a point in my life where my, my older children were in college, and I was right. you know, thinking about, um, you know, okay, you know, at 25 years, do I want to do this? Yeah. Off, you know, with FedEx for the rest of my working time. And, you know, at the, at that moment, you know, I thought, 
well, 25 years anywhere is a great thing to say. And, uh, of and, I had, and I've always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bite. That's why I was lucky enough at FedEx. I was always getting the chance to move around and do some new and exciting things. I ended up uh, making the decision to leave, and I ended up, you know, uh, in 2008, uh, departing uh, with with uh, you know nothing but great memories, and yeah. I went out on my own, and I, I tried to start up a business that was, uh, uh, or actually restart a business that had come on some hard times, and in, uh, in the reverse logistics space and yeah, warehousing the, space, right? Yeah, yeah. and the right. and the uh, in the e-commerce space, we actually had a platform called Bidtopia, um, which wow. was was about sort of. You know, monetizing um, uh, inventory. You know, things that were shelf pulls and returns, and um, it was a great experience. I was doing that with another retired FedEx executive, a gentleman named Ken May, and we um, we uh, we you know we, we we tried to go out and source funding and things like that. In two thousand eight, as you know very well, know that was a very tough environment for the U.S. given the real estate issues and uh, some of the financial constraints that were. In place and some of the you know sort of resetting of the the banking industry and um, it was a it was a great experience but it was a very tough environment but it, but I learned a lot and it sort of set me on my, my you know my second career if you will looking at um, other unique opportunities where my skills from FedEx could, were transferable and I could go help companies maybe make some improvements and, and do some different things. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And and so um, that was a real tough period to do a transition, sure. you know, certainly during that 2.8 to 2.10 period. Was there, um, you know, some, some of that involved as well? Was the recession kind of part of that? Well, no, not from the FedEx side, no, because they were no. actually doing quite well. I think, you know, again, I think for me it was more of a personal decision. I wanted to go right. try to do something different. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to use the term, but you know, you, sometimes you feel like your career is getting a little stale. You you've been someplace for twenty five years. You sure you sort of know all the ins and outs of it at some level. Um, but you know, for me, it was about trying to do something different for the balance of my working career, and uh, and that and that and, and that required taking some risk. And I think uh, people that are dealing with those decisions, you have to be willing to take some risk. And all things aren't going to work out, but that doesn't mean it was a bad outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So did a couple of different things until you came to Dan Ross. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, that, well, listen, I think uh, for me, you know, going to Dan Ross was, was, was about timing. And it was, it's a, it was a great fit for me, given some of the FedEx and post FedEx experiences I had. Uh, you know, a little bit over five years, about little, well, actually six years ago, roughly, I I was talking to the organization for, for a good six to eight months, and then ultimately, um, I was lucky enough to be offered, offered the opportunity to be the president and CEO. Um, you know, Day and Ross is a you know is a pretty you know pretty skilled transportation business, very uh, very well known in Canada, a little bit less known in the U.S. Uh, small integrator; they can handle any conveyance. Um, that you know a customer might need whether it was you know traditional trucking or air services we do all of the above um we've made some strong acquisitions in the last two to three years that have helped right. us have more of a north american sort of footprint um and culturally it was a great fit for me as i got to know the folks up in hotland new brunswick where the headquarters is and now we have some other offices in the u.s it's just uh 
it's a good fit. It's it's but it's a you know it would be a traditional trucking transportation provider and uh, uh, and a small integrator that does all you know all supply chain services for customers and we've got a great book of business. Uh, yeah. We're trying to you know we're, we're we're trying to get bigger every year with the rest of the competitive landscape and uh, we've been lucky enough to grow the business and we feel good about it. But again, like most transportation businesses, it starts with the people and if. Uh, and we're lucky to have some great people. Yeah, yeah. And and was it a recruiting opportunity? How did you come into that role? Uh, it was absolutely a recruiting opportunity. Yeah. Um, I was. It was um, a, a search that was being conducted, um, and I was lucky enough to be on the slate of candidates. And and through obviously the you know the selection process, I, I got to a, you know different stages of that sort of. Yeah get to know you discovery, um, uh, uh, you know, process around, you know, who could be the best fit. And ultimately uh, I was offered the opportunity and I was very happy to do that and yeah. everything. And, and, and five years later, I'm, I'm real happy with that decision and things are going pretty well for us as an organization. Um, I can say I'm truly happy with that. Again, every decision takes a little bit of risk. It was for me personally, you know, being, a U.S. citizen, uh, although living in New England, uh, Hotland, New Brunswick is n- probably closer than a lot of places I have worked right. in the United States. So it's not right. geography was really not the issue, uh, but it is a little different, you know, to say you work for a Canadian, for a Canadian company. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but, you know, again, it's uh, I, I find it to be uh, there's a lot, lot more similar than there are any differences. So at the end of the day, it's actually been a very easy transition. And I think, you know, people in general are. Um, uh, a very adept at uh, change, and I think that uh, if you have an open and sort of and, and a curious mind, the change becomes pretty easy for you. Well, tell us a little bit about the business, uh, Dan Ross. You know how big they are, employees, and you know a little bit about their their culture and uh, their their current business model. Yeah, listen, we've got you know between our drivers and our owner operators and brokers around North America, we've got you know eight thousand team members. Uh, we, you know, we in our you know five thousand trucks. Uh, thousands and thousands of trailers, more than the trucks. Um, so we're, you know, we're number 31 in the transport topics, top 100 uh, transportation for hire uh, companies. We're, um, we're based in a small town in Hotland, uh, New Brunswick, uh, literally probably four or five miles from the main border. Um, it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, heavy agricultural area. Mm, uh, yeah. We're part of the McCain Food Group. Uh, which is a very large uh, food organization uh, yep. all around the world. Uh, we're, uh, we, you know, we're, we're somewhat autonomous because of the nature of our business versus a, a CPG company. And, uh, but, you know, we've got great partnership with them and they, you know, purchased the company, the McCain family, which right. ultimately turned into the food group, you know, over 60 years ago. And uh, they've had this transportation company, which was very much captive at one time, but now is much more of a traditional, you know, transportation company with a lot of customers. And McCain is one of the best customers. Have you been we have. In, have you been involved in kind of that diversification from McCain, or has McCain owned them for a, for a longer period of time? McCain has owned them for a longer time. Our yeah. diversification is some of the recent acquisitions in the United States, in Michigan, and in York, Pennsylvania, specifically. Right. Got it. 
Got it. Cool. And uh, tell us a little bit about the culture. You know, if you had to kind of define, you know, the culture, it is it is mostly driven by the CEO. I know you've got obviously a parent company, but if you had to try to just describe, you know, kind of what's unique or what's different or, you know, what the company culture is about, how, how would you how would you phrase that? You know, I'll tell you, I think we're, it's, you know, I, I would say that we're, we're it, it's, it's a company that puts a lot of faith in its employees to do what they need to do for our customers. We sell service at the end of the day. We have equipment, but ultimately it's a service offering. Right. Uh, uh, but I would say uh, people, you know, it, it, they're human and they're brave. So we have a lot of folks that uh, will take a lot of risks on their own because of the nature of our business and they do a great job for us. And the people take a lot of pride and ownership. Uh, the right. peop- and that's true for the people in Hotland and the people in Vancouver and the people in Pennsylvania and Michigan. We've got a very, in Toronto, and where we have a you know, significant concentration of folks, we've, we're very lucky. We've got people that uh, are very loyal to our customers, and ultimately that makes them very loyal to us because uh, I think they, they believe in what we're trying to accomplish, and, uh, we're, and we're keeping things in the right kind of balance. Got it. Got it. Well, that's great. And if you had to say, you know, kind of, you know, with regards to the type of people you attract, what, what, what are you looking for in the people that you, uh, you know, reach out to and, and want to hire and, and uh, invest in? Well, Brent, I think, you know, because we have, you know, we have all the disciplines of a very large business, you know, we're, we're, we're a, you know, a billion three in revenue. So we have an IT department, we have a big accounting department, we have, you know, an HR department. We really, you know, we look for talent. We don't look always just for people that have transportation background. We're looking for people with with good uh, business skills as well as good people skills. So, um, I mean, because we have all the disciplines, it's it's not hard for us to bring someone in that might end up in the safety and compliance of of the business. Uh, as, as in a leadership position, but that person in three to five years could be in the not, a frontline operations position leading a large region for us. So uh, we're looking for, 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 for talent, and then ultimately we'll find the functional fit for them initially, and then ultimately they, their career will be uh, ultimately where they want to take it because, uh, again, I think there's a lot of skills that are very transferable. So we're looking for yeah. good people with, you know, with, with good skills and specifically good people skills. Understand, yeah, great, and uh, per, you know, pretty high retention rates. You know, is it is it different kind of operating in a in a group in Canada than the U.S.? You know, you, you obviously worked for FedEx for so many years, other U.S. based companies. Is there you know a kind of different sense of loyalty there? Or pretty much the same, and because of the industry. Yeah, listen, I, I don't find. I, listen, I, first off, our people are very loyal, uh, irregardless of the geography. Um, I find that the people in Canada are, 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 have, have high affinity for the organizations they work for. They take a lot of pride, but I find that very true in the U.S. as well. I think, I think good companies, no matter where they are, people have that same sense of, of pride and that same sense of belonging, and I think that creates the perfect kind of retention environment. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, we, we have our fair share, get, people have get recruited away to other opportunities, some of them where we're super happy for them and other ones we're sad. But at the end of the day, uh, we've got enough bench and, and folks that are doing a good job that, we, you know, uh, we'll keep our best. And, we'll, and we're also lucky enough to have some folks go do some other things as well. So uh, I'm not, you know, we worry about that because we, we don't want to ever take that for granted. But uh, the folks there do a great job. And um, yeah. for the most part, uh, I would say in general, our folks are pretty loyal to the brand because we've, 
uh, we've done a good job of sh- sh- sharing the vision and, and what the future looks like. All right, cool. And do you get up there often? Uh, do you manage mostly by long distance? I mean, we've been in a unique period this last year and a half with the pandemic, but um, you know, how often do you actually go to the headquarters? Uh, has that been frequent? Um, Pre-COVID, it would have been extremely frequent. I would say at least two weeks out of the month, which I think is right. was the right balance. But in our, you know, we have over a hundred facilities just in Canada, and you know, we're building up a physical plant in the United States. So we, you know, you can I can always go to work somewhere. Um, sure. And I spend a lot of time in our uh, sort of our not our U.S. headquarters, but we have a significant concentration down in Pennsylvania. I spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania. Uh, but for the last 18 months or so, I have not had a chance to go back to Hotland, and I'm actually planning a trip to go back up there September 13th, so it'll be my first time in a year and a half, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, early on, I think if the business, in the heartbeat of the business is in Hotland, New Brunswick, if you're going to try to lead an organization, I think you need to embed yourself in that uh, environment and get to know the folks that have been there for, in some cases, a very long time because we've got great tenure. Um, And then that was important for me to help people educate me on the business. Uh, Transportation companies might look the same to everyone as they're driving down the highway. It's a truck is a truck. But the reality is there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of nuance. And I was glad to take the education from the folks in Hotland to tell me how the business works and operates. And ultimately, they can tell you also what needs to happen to make it an even better environment. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Bill, you've been terrific with uh, your insights and, and telling us about your career. We always ask one last question of all our guests, and you know, that's kind of what career and life advice you to give to someone who maybe has their eyes in the corner office, or, or like you, has you know, been a long-term employee of a great company but makes that decision to go entrepreneurial. You know, what, what, what would you say to those folks who may be considering those options? I think you know, people need to be willing to um, have more confidence in yourself. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people don't recognize the skills that they have. And I don't think it's because they they don't, you know, they're not reflective or they're not paying attention. I think it's because people tend to think everyone knows how to do X, Y, or Z. The reality is everyone doesn't know how to do X, Y, or Z. And if you've got really good skills and you've done some unique things, be confident in your abilities. And if you're confident in your abilities, I think change comes becomes much easier for you. And when change becomes easier, I think that opens the whole pool of opportunities up to you where you can maybe take a little bit of risk because it is, there is risk in change. Right. Uh, and you need to be willing to fail once in a while to get ahead. In, but have confidence in the things that you've learned because not everyone learns them the same way. Not everyone knows them at the level of depth you might know them. And, and be proud of that and use that mm-hmm. to help you get to where you want to be long term. And and don't be afraid to take, you know, stepping stones because there are opportunities that maybe round you out as a person and let you get to the next level. I think just people need to be willing to do that. And that doesn't mean you have to always leave the organization you're in. There are a lot of big organizations that have, again, a multidiscipline and you can do things within organizations to round out your skill sets, maybe for another big opportunity with your current organization or maybe with some other organization. Just you have to, you know, Take a good skills assessment of what you know and what's Mm. very transferable. Sage counsel and wisdom. Bill Doherty, CEO of Dan Ross, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brian, it was great to visit with you today. And as always, it's great to catch up with you. 
Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 